I don't even know why I'm talking like that. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be one of those, like, uh, one of those days where we just break into random random dialects <laughs> that are offensive to the region that we are impersonating. <laughs> well. Hey, friends. Welcome back to episode 67 of I'm Sorry What the Podcast. Christina's yawning and I'm Amanda. I'm Christina. <laughs> she yawned before she started and then I was like, do I have to yawn? And then she started and I was like, okay, it's happening. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, we're not going to redo it. Just re- just keep going. Just you know, keep, I'm just going to fill this, the yawn silence <laughs> by calling her out. Yeah. It's fine. Christina's it's not- yawning. I'm Amanda. <laughs> It's not a visual platform, but if we explain things enough, people can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know, you ask me that every week and it doesn't change because I can't leave the house. So, I'm good. Hey, wait, no. I drove for the first time. For the first time in many, many moons. In many, many moons. It's probably not safe because I still have to have my boot on and my car is tiny. So I have to like angle my boot just right so I can touch the pedal and then hit the brake without hitting the brake while I hit the gas. I'm probably going to crash. It kind of sounds like when you had your boot before, you know? Yeah, but this car's different because this one and it's my driving foot that I have my boot on. Are they closer set? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because the element was like a driving in a giant box. There was, like, fucking room to stretch out. I could take a nap between the gas pedal and the brake pedal. Now they're, I like... I suggest not doing that, but you could. Tiny. <laughs> Tiny little so hamster mobile is just so small. Oh. Yeah, oh. That's the only eventful thing that happened to me this week. So. Well, fun. How about you? Um, it was not an awesome week at work. I'm now not doing, I can't help it. I am so tired. All the kids were at Chris's house last night. So we stayed up and then I had to get up at three so I could come clean the church and I'm just sleepy. So I'm taking a power nap after this so I can actually hit the day with a little bit of (laughs) enthusiasm, you know? Um, but, uh, work was rough this week, but it's fine. It's over. And then Chris and I looked at houses last night, so that was fun. And um, that's about it for my, like, weekly update of life. Cool. (laughs) Cool. Great. Awesome. Gruel. Gruel. (laughs) Great and cool. (laughs) (laughs) Should be one of those episodes, huh? (laughs) I made one of those Mean Girl uh, references last night. I was just like... Because, so Sheldon asks Brandon, why are you still in your work clothes? It was like 9.30 at night. Who's Sheldon? That's Jaylee's boyfriend. Oh. Why are you still in your work clothes? And <laughs> Brandon goes, well, I don't know. And Chris, like, he's only got one shirt. It's kind of a touchy subject. And I was just <laughs> like, my work clothes are all that fit me right now. <laughs> work clothes that all of them are all that fit me right now uh you haven't met them huh Mm-mm. i've met Shit. his daughters 
Yeah, but have you you haven't met Sheldon? You should be around sometime when he's there. He's a hoot, a hoot and a half, hoot and a holler. I would like. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I could go for a weekend or a weeknight. Just get me out of this fucking house. <laughs> Wouldn't be a weeknight, but the thought is there. I will let you know. <laughs> uh. Oh, so you got stories it. or? Yeah, let's just. Let's just fucking stop with the chit chat and get to the point. That's what people are well, here for. Well, for real though, we can't babble the entire time. <laughs> oh, I passed on my yawns. The worst. Okay, I'm gonna tell you about Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb. Stop okay. yawning. Okay. I you pass it to me this time. I didn't even yawn and you yawned. Stop it. So, you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's go. This is a weird workup, Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, you're ready. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Pep talk yourself into your story. <laughs> go ahead and fuck yourself, okay? <laughs> All right. Maybe so. later, man. Maybe later. <laughs> Maybe later. <laughs> Play DJ Diddles another time. <laughs> it's uh, not that kind of a podcast. It's not that kind of a podcast. We need to bring that back. Yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> that and this is not bill-proofed. <laughs> not bill-proofed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nathan Leopold was born November 19th, 1904 in Chicago. He was the son of a wealthy German-Jewish immigrant family. Uh, he was a child prodigy. He claimed to have spoken his first words at the age of four months. He completed undergraduate degree in the University of Chicago at a young age. They didn't tell me what age. Um, with Phi Beta Kappa honors and planned to begin studies at Harvard Law School after a trip to Europe. Uh, he studied over 15 languages, spoke five fluently, and had achieved a measure of national recognition as an ornithologist. Well, howdy doody. <laughs> is that the stuff? What's an ornithologist again? Is that the is bug? That, I thought an ornithologist is that was birds? a type of... Oh, see, and I was thinking it was some sort of plant offshoot, but... Maybe it is. I, I should look that up. Let me look pa it up quick. <laughs> Hold on. Pause story. What's an ornithologist? I'm curious now. He's an expert on birds. Birds, you're right. Good job. I was like, is that bugs or is it birds? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> the only reason I know that word is from Big Bang Theory when she's like, she's shacked up with an ornithologist. <laughs> <laughs> when he's talking to the bug scientist. That's yeah. Why. Sorry. Okay. That's why I was wondering, is it bugs or is it birds? <laughs> that's a good episode. That is a really good episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay so richard loeb loeb sorry well it's l-o-e-b so i couldn't i was like is it loeb or the lobe i'm just gonna go with lobe i feel like lobe makes more sense why not so richard loeb was born on june 11th in 1905 he was also born in chicago uh and his parents were a wealthy lawyer and a retired vice president of sears and roebuck company Oh. So they were both very highfalutin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So like Leopold, Loeb, Loeb was exceptionally intelligent with the encouragement of his governess. He skipped Ooh. several grades in school and became the University of Michigan's youngest graduate at age 17. 
17 for hold on from a university well so was um richard uh or i mean leopold had to have been too because when this all took place he was 19 and he had just gotten back from europe so he'd already graduated with an undergraduate degree at the university of chicago and was going to harvard and he was 19 wow very smart yeah get yourself some noodles up there yes so Loeb was fond of history and his graduate work was in the subject of history um so they both grew up in the Kenwood neighborhood of Chicago south side uh they the Loeb's owned a summer estate which was called Castle Farms in Michigan in addition to their mansion in Kenwood um they were both they lived about two blocks away from each other so they kind of knew each other casually while growing up and then they began to see more of each other in the mid-1920s um and they both discovered a mutual interest in crime and their relationship flourished so some articles said they were lovers okay and others just said they were like bff so so you don't know if it was just a sensationalizing of i have a feeling they were making the beast with two backs personally hey you know good for them (laughs) i mean you do you boo um leopold was particularly fascinated with frederick nietzsche's concept of supermen so uh he interpreted uh, them and frederick nietzsche also interpreted them as transcendent individuals possessing extraordinary and unusual capabilities whose superior intellects allowed them to rise above the law and rules that bound the unimportant average populace itch so i you know (laughs) i do not like for that remark because i would be the unimportant and intelligent unintelligent populace no average intelligence oh average intelligence yeah yeah screw you no i'm smart fuck you (laughs) i'm smart fuck you i'm smart (laughs) fuck you as you can tell by my use of cuss words to (laughs) cuss words (laughs) cuss words to show how angry i am that's my new favorite comeback i'm smart fuck you (laughs) (laughs) i didn't say you were stupid shut up (laughs) yeah but stop talking (laughs) okay so leopold believed that he but especially Loeb, were these individuals so they believe he believed that they were both supermen okay uh so they believed that they were not bound by any of society's normal ethics or rules in a re- letter to Loeb, he wrote, a superman is on account of certain super qu- superior qualities inherent in him, exempted from the ordinary laws which govern men. He is not liable for anything that he may do. That's some fucking bullshit. <laughs> so they began to test their perceived immunity from law uh, with acts of petty theft and vandalism. They broke into the fraternity house at the university and they stole pen knives, a camera, and a typewriter. Oh, badass. I know, right? <laughs> nerd! <laughs> Can you imagine stealing a typewriter? They're like, those things are fucking heavy, fucking nerd. Yeah, the, those old ones. Yeah, they're like iron. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw it at somebody. <laughs> uh, they then progressed to a series of more serious crimes, including arson, but no one seemed to notice like they were so petty that no one like they're like oh, took any, an, el- like, an electrical fire broke out and they just right. you know, put it out and 
we're good. <laughs> so they were both very disappointed with the absence of media coverage of their crimes. And so they decided to plan and execute the perfect crime. Obviously, it wasn't perfect since we're talking about him today. Um, <laughs> Touche. Um, so they want they thought it would garner them public attention and confirm that they were Superman. Oh, okay. So Leopold was 19 and Loeb was 18. And they decided to settle on the kidnapping and the murder of an adolescent as their perfect crime. Dark. All right. <laughs> it escalated quickly. <laughs> We're going to set little fires and steal pen knives. Then let's kill a kid. It's <laughs> exactly what happened. Jesus. Except okay. they spent months, like months together, um, through the whole winter discussing the crime and planning its details. They decided upon a $10,000 ransom, which they didn't fucking need because they were both rich as fuck. So it was just part of the perfect crime that they needed to ask for a ransom. But doesn't that give, but that gives more things. Like more, when people are investigating, you leave a ransom note. There's much more evidence that could be found on that ransom note than than anything else. So that's dumb. Okay, let's just throw that out there you smart guys that's dumb it's dumb you're stupid <laughs> you i'm smart or i know i'm smart fuck you fuck you fuck you i'm smart <laughs> after they determined the ransom amount they came up with a plan that would direct the victim's father to throw a packet containing the money from the train that traveled south of chicago along the elevated tracks of west michigan And then they would be waiting below in a car. As soon as the ransom hit the ground, they would scoop it up and make their escape. So um, they typed the final set of instructions involving the actual money drop in the form of a ransom note using the typewriter they stole from the fraternity house. Oh my goodness. And then they decided that a chisel was the best murder weapon. And they purchased that. Okay. Um, on the afternoon of May 21st, 1924, Leopold and Loeb drove their rental car slowly around the streets of the south side of Chicago looking for a possible bait. At five o'clock, after driving around Kenwood for roughly two hours, they were ready to abandon the kidnapping and do it another day uh, when they saw Bobby Franks walking down the street. Uh, Loeb recognized him um, as the son of a wealthy Chicago watch manufacturer, Jacob Franks. He was 14 years old. So Loeb actually knew him well. He was his second cousin and across the street neighbor and had played tennis with the Loeb resident several times. Oh, yes. So he knows this kid. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, There's another connection, stupid. (laughs) some perfect crime you're doing right um they offered franks a ride as he walked home from school the boy refused initially since his destination was literally two blocks away but Loeb persuaded him to enter the car using to discuss a tennis racket he had been using please come here people huh (laughs) right come here sir let us speak of tennis rackets (laughs) oh okay uh, <laughs> stupid so what happened next is 
kind of dis- disputed and debated, but it is believed that Leopold was behind the wheel of the car and Loeb was in the back seat with the murder okay. weapon. Okay. Uh, once Bobby was in the f- in the seat in the front of the car. Uh, Mm -hmm. And they started driving. Loeb reached over the seat, grabbed the boy from behind with his left hand, covering Bobby's mouth to stop him from screaming. He brought the chisel down hard and smashed it into the back of the boy's skull. Uh, Once again, he then pounded the chisel into the skull with as much force as possible, but he was still conscious. Um, Bobby had now twisted halfway around in the seat facing Loeb, and was trying to protect himself. Uh, based, and that was based on like defensive wounds that they yeah. found. Loeb then smashed the chisel down two more times into Bobby's forehead. And he still struggled for his life. The fourth blow he had a gash, a large hole in his forehead. And blood from the wound was everywhere, spreading across the seat and onto Leopold's pants. So now you have a messy crime scene. Yeah. Gotcha. Um. Since Bobby was still conscious, Loeb reached down and pulled him upwards over the front seat into the back of the car and then jammed a rag down the boy's throat, stuffing it down as far as possible. He okay. tore off a large strip of adhesive tape and taped the mouth shut and over his nose. What? What the fuck? Yeah. Uh, once, when the boy stopped moving, Loeb relaxed his grip and he slid off his lap and was laid, just dumped in the back seat on the floor. So, I'm with annoyed. The, <laughs> with the body on the floorboard out of view, Leopold and Loeb drove to their predetermined dumping spot, which was by a lake in Hammond, Indiana, 25 miles south of Chicago. And then after nightfall, they removed and discarded Frank's clothes, then concealed the body in a culvert along the Pennsylvania Railroad tracks north of the lake, uh, and then poured hydraulic acid on his face and genitals to disguise the fact that he had been circumcised. I don't know why it was a uh, i don't know must have been like a probably wasn't a common thing back then yeah yeah okay uh so by the time the two men returned to chicago word had already spread of frank's that the fact that frank's was missing uh-huh. um leopold called frank's mother identifying himself as george johnson and told her that frank's had been kidnapped instructions for delivering the ransom note would follow a ransom would follow after mailing the typed ransom note burning their bloodied stained clothing and cleaning the bloodstains from the rented vehicle as best as they could. They spent the remainder of the evening playing cards. I mean, you got to unwind somehow. Yeah. So they mailed the ransom note and it read, it's very, it's very choppy. Uh, For people who are smart, it wasn't well written. Yeah. It's a dear sir, proceed immediately uh, to the black back platform of the train. Watch the east side of the track. Have your package ready. Look for the first large red brick immediately adjoining the track on the east. So I'm assuming they said building. Mm-hmm. On the top of this factory is a large black water tower with the word champion written on it. Wait until you have completely passed the south end of the factory. Count five rapidly, then immediately throw the package as far as you can. Remember that this is your only chance to recover your son, yours truly, George Johnson. I wonder if maybe they were trying to write it with as little, like, um, 
identifying wordage as they could. It was literally just more written like a list of instructions so that nobody can look at it and be like, you know, like the John Benet Ramsey yeah. note where they're like, and hence and all that stuff where they're like, these are things that these like parents say on a regular basis. So it would not right. be weird that it's theirs. So, so I wonder if maybe that's why it was choppy and yeah. So they wrote that note and mailed it, but then they also called. So Leopold called a second time and dictated the first set of ransom payment instructions. So they, the note told them what to do with the ransom payment, but now he was calling them to tell them how to get the ransom payment. Um, the intricate plan stalled almost immediately, though, when the family member who took the call forgot the address to the store where he was supposed to receive the next set of directions. <laughs> You know, it's it's never going to be perfect when human interaction is involved, right? you know? And then it was abandoned entirely when word came that Frank's body had been found. So before they could get the ransom, they didn't hide the body well enough. You know, they just sound dumb. They just sound book smart and street dumb. So. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm, that is what happened, I believe. <laughs> so Leopold and Loeb destroyed the typewriter and burned a blanket they had used to move the body. Uh, then they went about their lives as usual. But Chicago police launched an investigation. Rewards were offered for information. And while Loeb went about his daily routine quietly, Leopold spoke freely to police and reporters, offering theories to any who would listen. He even told one detective, if I were to murder anybody, it would be just such a cocky little son of a bitch as Bobby Franks. Dude, like what what is your fucking problem like he's he has such a oh my gosh what a complex. can you imagine being lobe in this situation though like dude like shut the fuck up hey shut up what are you doing this was not part of the plan but i need everybody to know that i'm really smart so police then found a pair of glasses near the body though it was a common prescription the frames um, were fitted with an unusual hinge that were purchased by only three customers in Chicago. One of them was Leopold. Oh, you imagine moron. <laughs> when Leopold, when questioned, Leopold offered the possibility that his glasses might have dropped out of his pocket during a bird watching trip the previous weekend. Uh, uh, ornithological, you know. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Uh, the destroyed typewriter was actually recovered from Jackson Park Lagoon on June 7th, so they didn't hide that at all either. And then 10 days after the murder on May 31st, both boys confessed and to demonstrated to the state's attorney how they had killed Bobby Franks. So they were both under investigation once those glasses were found, and then the typewriter was found, and it was tied back to and, the Kappa house that Leopold was a part of. And, and they were like, all right, it was and, us. and Leopold wouldn't shut his goddamn mouth, so. <laughs> yep. So Loeb actually confessed first. He claimed that Leopold had planned everything and had killed Franks in the backseat of the car while Loeb drove, which I don't agree with because Leopold doesn't seem like the real smart one. I believe it was Loeb who planned everything. Yeah. Although this kind of fell apart, so maybe Leopold did plan everything. <laughs> See, and that's where I'm like, Leopold is the one that seems to feel like he needs to prove his grandeur, so I wouldn't be surprised if he did try to right. plan the whole thing. So Leopold's confession followed swiftly after, but he insisted that he was the driver and that Loeb the murderer. Their confections otherwise corroborated most of the evidence in the case. Leopold later claimed in a book that he wrote he pleaded in vain with Loeb to admit to killing Franks because Loeb so it is believed that Loeb was actually the one who killed him 
who actually did the physical murder. Yes. Um, so there was those circumstantial evidence of witnesses believing that they saw Loeb driving and Leopold in the backseat. But both Leopold and Loeb admitted that they were driven by their thrill-seeking Superman delusions and their aspiration to commit the perfect crime. Uh, neither claimed to have looked forward to the killing itself, although Leopold admitted interest in learning what it would feel like to be a murderer. He was disappointed to note that he felt the same as ever. <laughs> wow, what a psycho. <laughs> they, when they were first questioned... Um, they said that the night of the murder, they had picked up two women in Chicago using Leopold's car, then dropped them off sometime later near a golf course without learning their names. But that alibi was exposed um, when Leopold's chauffeur told the police that he was repairing Leopold's car that night. So that's when they kind of broke down and confessed. Okay. So the trial of Leopold and Loeb at Chicago's Cook County Courthouse uh, became a media spectacle and um it was labeled the trial of the century um Loeb's family hired Clarence Darrow one of the most renowned criminal defense lawyers in the country to plead the defense team it was rumored that Darrow was paid a million dollars for his services um though he was actually paid 70,000 but inflation it's roughly a million in 2020 so that may be where the million-ish mark yeah came from yeah um Darrow actually took the case because he was a staunch opponent of capital punishment. The state's attorney, Robert Crow Nathan, um, or Robert Crow, stated that Le Nathan Leopold admitted they had murdered Bobby solely for the thrill of the experience. Uh, he actually told a newspaper reporter it was a thirst for knowledge is highly commendable no matter what extreme pain or injury it may afflict upon, inflict upon others. And then he also told the newspaper reporter, a six-year-old boy is justified in pulling the wings from a fly. If by doing so, he learns that without wings, the fly is helpless. I, what? This is, this is what? You are comparing pulling the wings off of a fly to killing a 14-year-old boy? Yeah, just for the thirst of knowledge. I just want to know, you know? I just yeah. want to know. Oh, just, okay, so then go ahead. Fuck it. Let's let's do animal testing and stuff again, too, because that doesn't seem wrong. Oh, and as well, let it, let's bring back other things that are completely immoral. Yeah, like, it's not... Okay, whatever, you know, bitch. <laughs> you fucking jackass. You little bitch. <laughs> you little bitch. Stupid-ass bitch. I fucking wait you. I'm just kidding. I just had to dance to the imaginary song in my head You're when you started it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the defendant's wealth, their intellectual ability, the high regard within the Chicago for their families, um, everything combined to make the crime one of the most intriguing murders in the history of Cook County. So the state's attorney also realized that he could turn the case to its own, his own advantage um, and kind of make his career basically. Um so he wanted to send Leopold and Loeb to the gallows for their murder of a child. And he thought that he would find favor with the public if he did. So he immediately went for the death penalty. Right? So you had like the renowned defense attorney who was hired because he didn't believe in capital punishment. And then you had the state's attorney who was like, we're going for the capital punishment because it's going to make my fucking career. So, cool. so many good reasons for doing things in this yeah. case. 
So it was actually assumed and believed the men's defense would be based on a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. Darrell concluded that a jury trial would most certainly end in conviction and the death penalty. So he elected to enter a plea of guilty, hoping to convince Cook County, uh, the, the Cook County judge to impose sentences of life imprisonment. Okay. So the trial, which was technically a sentencing hearing, ran for 32 days. The state's attorney presented over 100 witnesses documenting details of the crime. The defense presented extensive psychiatric testimony in an effort to establish mitigating circumstances, including childhood neglect in the form of absent parenting, and in Leopold's case, sexual abuse by a governess. Uh, Daryl called a series of expert witnesses who offered a catalog of Leopold and Loeb's uh, abnormalities. One witness testified to their dysfunctional endocrine glands, another to the delusions that had led to their crime. Daryl actually went on a 12-hour-long plea at the conclusion of the hearing, and it has been called the finest speech in his career. 12 hours? 12 hours. That's more than I sleep in, like, Three nights. He went on for 12 hours. Uh, My God. Basically, the theme running through the plea was the inhumane methods and punishments of the American justice system and the youth immaturity of the accused. They basically said that because of their immaturity and their obsession with Nietzsche, I didn't, he, they put the, in one of the articles I read, his 12 hour long speech was like summed up into like 32 paragraphs. And I'm like, I'm not fucking putting that in there. So basically, to sum it up, he basically said that because of their immaturity and their obsession with Nietzsche, they were not held responsible for the curiosities and the beliefs that they were supermen. I, um, okay. Yeah. So a child should um, be punished for their lack of understanding mm-hmm. pretty much okay whatever so they were both sentenced to um life in prison i believe they did get the possibility of parole because leopold later is paroled but um leopold and Loeb were initially held at joliet prison and they were kept apart as much as possible the two did manage to maintain a friendship behind bars um, he w- Leopold was later transferred to Stateville Penitentiary, and Loeb was then eventually transferred there as well. They were once they were reunited, the two actually ended up expanding the prison school system, adding a high school and junior college curriculum to it. Okay. Um, then on January twenty eighth, nineteen thirty six, Loeb was attacked by a fellow inmate, James Day, with a straight razor in a shower room, and died soon after in the prison hospital. Day claimed that Loeb had assaulted him, though he was unarmed while Loeb sustained more than 50 wounds, including defensive wounds on his arms and hands. His throat had also been slashed from behind. Uh, News accounts suggested that Loeb had propositioned Day. The authorities, perhaps embarrassed by publicly sensationalizing that kind of behavior in the jails, ruled that Day had been defending himself. So... In an autobiography, Life Plus 99 Years, Leopold ridiculed Day's claims that Loeb had attempted sexual assault on him. This was echoed by the prison's Catholic chaplain, um, who said that it was more likely that Day had attacked Loeb after Loeb rebu- rebuffed his advances. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Although Leopold continued with his work in prison after Loeb's death, he suffered from depression, he be, and he, but he did become a model prisoner and made actually a lot of significant contributions improving conditions at the Stateville Penitentiary. Um, he reorganized the prison library, revamped the schooling system and teaching its students and volunteered work in the prison hospital. He volunteered for the state penitentiary malaria study. He was deliberately inoculated with malaria pathogens and then subjected to several experimental malaria treatments. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Leopold's autobiography, Life Plus 99 Years, was published in 1958 as part of his campaign to win parole. His account with the media aftermath, immediate aftermath of the crime, uh, he ind- engendered widespread criticism for his deliberate refusal to recount his childhood or to describe any details of the murder itself. He was also accused of writing the book solely as a means for rehabilitating his public image by ignoring the dark side of his past. So mm. he didn't, he wouldn't recount the planning of the murder or anything. Right. Uh, in April, he attempted to set up the Leopold Foundation to be funded by the royalties from life plus 99 years to aid the emotionally disturbed, retarded, or delinquent youths. Oh, okay. Um, but the state of Illinois voided that on the grounds that it violated the terms of his parole. So he was, after 33 years and numerous unsuccessful parole petitions, he was released in March of 1958. I skipped that part accidentally. <laughs> um, so, he so, did, he, so he did that trying to get his, um, what he was making on that book. Well, what the money that was being made on that book. I don't know if he, I'm, I assume it went directly to him since that law hadn't been passed yet, where well, you can't trying, profit on your crimes. I don't know because he was trying to actually set it up as the so the royalties would go to that foundation, but they told him that that mm-hmm. was a, a, in violation of his parole. So I don't know. Is it because he his crime was against a minor? And maybe so anything so that deals with in, kids. Maybe that might have been it. Okay, um, I don't know. I was just like, oh well, if he's out, is that just because? Yeah. Anyway. So when he was released, he actually ended up moving to Puerto Rico um, and were, was accepted as a medical technician in the Church of Brethren affiliated program um, at a hospital in Puerto Rico. He was known as Nate to his neighbors and coworkers at the hospital where he worked as a laboratory and x-ray assistant. He moved and married a widowed florist and earned a master's degree at the University of Puerto Rico. And then taught classes there. Uh, he became a researcher in the social service program of Puerto Rico's Department of Health, worked for an urban renewal and housing agency, and did research on leprosy at the University of Puerto Rico's School of Medicine. So he had that long sentence and still came out and had basically a full life afterwards. Yes. He was only in prison for 33 years. Yeah. And that he went in at 18? Mm, 19. 19? I couldn't remember which mm-hmm. one was 18, which one was 19. Uh, in, in, in 1963, he published the checklist of birds of Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. <laughs> oh, lovely. Uh, and he died of diabetes-related heart attack on August 29th, 1971, at the age of 66. So young still. Mm-hmm. Well, well shit, um, son. And then this story of Leopold and Loeb is actually a Criminal Minds episode. Oh. It's, but they, like made it new so it's two guys i don't know if you remember it it's two guys and the one's getting married and they were friends in college they were like and they wanted to relive the zodiac killings and they were would always oh yeah yep 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 they were both super smart it was based on leopold and leopold and loeb and loeb (laughs) 
<laughs> I thought that, that was, was an interesting crime. I hadn't heard of it. It is interesting for being something that seems very sensationalized. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised I haven't heard anything about it. Yeah. I don't even know how I found it. Half of these cases that I do, I'm like, I don't even know. By the time I find it, I don't know what I put in the search engine. I'm, how many other articles I've clicked to, like, because I open one and it's like a ranker article. And then I click on another thing that's like in the ranker article. Like, yep. Something else, which leads me to something else. And then all of a sudden I'm on an article about Leopold and Loeb. And I'm like, yes, we're doing this one. <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, that's kind of it. In mine, a lot of times it's things in passing that thing people say on like the YouTube things that I watch or Snapchat or Facebook or one yeah. of those like graveyard tales uh, posts on Facebook and or anything else that you're on mm-hmm. for social media. And I'll be like, oh, interesting. And then I'll look into it and be like, oh, and put it on my list. <laughs> and then I just grab a name off my list usually and look it up. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't even remember what this was. This is new to me. See, I stopped doing a list because I have a list still on my phone. And every time I looked at it, I was like, I don't want to do any of these. So <laughs> looking at and finding random new ones, I was like, I don't want to do any of these. It's like, I already know all these. I want something new, fresh. So. Good job. That was very interesting. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Tell me more. Tell me more. Like, does she have a... Did you get very far? Yeah, that's what it was. Um, I didn't get very far. I haven't started yet, so it's hard to tell you more, but I'll start you. <laughs> start you off. Oh, I can't wait. So mine also includes a child. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> a, ch- a child. I smell children. <laughs> children. Uh, Sucking the lives out of little children. <laughs> So I'm going to tell you about the disappearance of Pauline Picard. Pauline Um, Picard. Picard. So (laughs) Pauline Picard was a two-year-old girl who lived on a farm in Goez à Ludu outside of... (laughs) I'm sorry, what was that? Goez à Ludu outside of Brittany, France. Please, I'm not going to say Ludu (laughs) in a Minnesota accent when it's a French town. That makes no sense. <laughs> Go as Al Ludu outside of Brittany, France. You know, dialect is okay. <laughs> just, uh, just, just, just go. It was actually the first part I was at laughing at because it was, you're like, go as Al Ludu. <laughs> I, can't, I can't figure out how to say that word. I don't, I don't know. know. Don't ask me. I don't fucking know. Did you hear my werewolf episode? Let's just... <laughs> So, the Picard children would regularly go outside like any normal farm family would just send their kid outside, go play. So, this is in 1922, and they, for real, were just kind of like, go children, I'll call you back when when it's time to eat or whatever, you know? So, they would normally play outside without any, like, parent around, which was normal. And, I mean, is still normal on, like, farms where it's like go play. We'll catch you in a little bit. I'll come check on you in a beat, you know? Or like when, when we, my mom did daycare mm-hmm. and um, when all of her soap operas were on, we had to go outside and play. <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't be telling on your mom. <laughs> and then she, they knew. Our backyard was fenced in. It was in town. And then even when it was raining, because my dad put a tarp over the big giant sandbox we had in our backyard. 
So we had to still go outside and play in the rain in the backyard in the sandbox when her shows were on. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> uh, so on the evening of April or on an evening in April, 1922, I'm telling you, there were no like specifics on these things. Mm-hmm. Um, Pauline's mother called for her children to come in for dinner and there was no response from Pauline. Uh, so as any parent would after she went outside to see if she could find her and had no clue of where she went, her mother called the police and the community and the police banded together to search for the two-year-old along the countryside. So they kind of swept the whole property and then around the property, Mm -hmm. but they had no luck finding Pauline. Mm, Poor baby. At this point, the media had dubbed her La Petite Pauline Picard. So okay. that was like her media name when they would talk about it. Cause it was kind of sensational in the media in France. Mm-hmm. And then it did kind of trizzle, trizzle, drizzle over to um, like, it was in New York times and stuff. They were talking about all the updates and everything. And what but was this again? 1922. Okay. Um, it seemed that she had just vanished without a trace. Like they couldn't find where she, she didn't leave any clothes while she was walking. She didn't, it, it's like, she just got picked up and disappeared at the three week point. Uh, her people started to assume that she was no longer alive. Um, They guessed that she had either been picked up by gypsies, in that case she would be alive, but then traveling the countryside, and, you know, so they thought she might have been kidnapped by gypsies. Can't just take a kid. (laughs) You know, apparently it was a thing. It was in every single article, this, like, gypsy theory. Yeah. Just kidnapped Um, children? Okay. Hold on. The other one was that she was mauled by a boar and carried off. That's not uncommon, though. Boars are assholes. Yeah, but I'm just trying to imagine where she's at in the French countryside that just has some boars running around, you know? Yeah, well, they've got, um, that's, I don't think that's, I think that's an actual, like, common animal. Well, and I'm assuming so, since that was another thing that was in all the things are like, well, maybe she got picked up by a boar. Yeah, what's that mushroom that is super fucking expensive? Truffle? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the boars yeah. sniff for truffles. Sniffer truffles. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see my boar sniffing? <laughs> okay. We snuff right. all the ground for truffles. <laughs> so, uh, right word. Smart. I, you know, it's fine. Snuffle. Snuffle <laughs> the truffles. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So right around this time, there were also reports that there was a little girl matching Pauline's description um, in a different town. Okay. So I'm sure there was a little girl that matched her description in another town. But there was a little girl just roaming about that got picked oh, up and brought into like was, an orphanage trying to figure out where she came from oh okay sorry i was just imagining that they're like in a village with a mom and it's like hey she looks like pauline I'm like, hey that girl looks like pauline 
Yeah. Yep. A lot of girls look alike until they get a little older. <laughs> Fucking stupid is what you are. <laughs> so when a photo of this girl was shown to Pauline's mother, because they obviously took the photo and were trying to figure out where this girl came from, um, she burst into tears and said, that's my daughter, my poor little Pauline. According to the report from La Matine, um, this was like, this is where they actually did the initial reporting on everything was, I'm assuming it's a paper. So Uh, her her parents drove 250 miles to this town where this girl was. Okay. Um, It it was like Cherbourg. Cherbourg? Okay. I can't hear. Read it. (laughs) If you would stop moving it, I could have. Yeah, I would say Cherbourg, but that's not how you pronounce it. I know. That's, I'm like Cherbourg. Shabu? I'm sure something like, I was like I'm sure yeah I'm like I'm sure there's some sort of like in it because <laughs> uh, I'm a a diphthong midwestern and we're like chairborn <laughs> yeah that's right chairborg okay Chair-borg. so <laughs> low ebb <laughs> oh my gosh so they drove the two hundred and fifty dollars. I drove the $250. Oh, no. I'm falling apart. (laughs) So they drove the 250 miles, and they were going to pick up their daughter because they saw this picture, and they were like, this is her. Like, there's no mistaking it. So it was very exciting news, but lots of questions still. How did a toddler get 250 miles away, unharmed, just roaming around in the streets. Are they by a ley line? Did she fall uh, through a portal? Come I, up the other side? It, uh, no, I don't know. I guess I didn't look up the ley lines in Brittany, France. <laughs> I'm just you saying. Got, it's hey, you got any ley lines? <laughs> <laughs> Allow me to Google it. <laughs> so, how did she not succumb to the evidence of or, uh, elements? I can't speak today. I don't know. It's this, it's the lack of sleep. My brain's like just on its last little spark. But first of all, I mean, it's not her, Christina. So let's, you don't need to look up the ley lines because. I'm just saying that there are ley lines in Brittany, France. (laughs) Good. Good. I'm glad we got that taken care of. There's actually Um, a druid chapel there. Sorry. Continue. Good. I'm glad. Um, so they were kind of just curious, like, why did it seem like she didn't recognize her parents or siblings when they got there? Oh. She's two, and she was like, mm-hmm, I don't know mm-hmm. who these people are. Yeah, like, stop talking to me. And the strangest thing of all, she wasn't speaking in her, like, Breton accent. So she had, like, there's, spe- you know, the specific dialects in France, and she the few words that she was saying at two she was saying totally different now so they were like okay this is really weird but also how is it not our daughter because it looks she looks exactly like her timing wise she just shows up and is roaming about so all these um were attributed to like an amnesia that came with like a post-traumatic stress they thought that maybe she had been abducted and abused on her way to this city. And that's why she got that far. Mm-hmm. And the reason she was having all these like mental 
um, issues with her parents and her family and the people in the neighborhood even. Um, So, though she didn't seem to know anybody around her, they all recognized her. Everybody that saw her were like, was like yeah that's pauline like that's obviously that's her yeah there was an unknown woman that was dressed in rags that had been seen with the little girl earlier in the day uh before she was brought picked up and brought in by police and so they wanted to find this woman to try to figure out and unravel the mystery because they're like how who is this person who is this kid how did they get there why are they there mm-hmm. like all that fun stuff so this case did make international news and everyone was very excited to hear that the girl had been recovered and it's like the world rejoiced together is what one article said but then then again I was like I can't I found some articles from like other places other than France but not a lot so whatever whatever we can make it exciting so the (laughs) though with all of that the Picard still held doubts that the girl living in their house was their daughter. Yeah. Or like something just wasn't right. This isn't it looks right. Just like her. Yeah. Something's not, not her. Nope. Um, a local farmer soon admitted to killing their daughter. Yeah. Just out of nowhere. Um, his name was Vess Martin or Martine, depending on how you want to say it. Vess um, Martin. <laughs> well, it's why there's like Yavis, Yav, Yavis, Yavs. I'm not going to pretend I know. So um, he asked the Pickards whether they, so this is kind of how it started unraveling for him to admit to it and say that he did. Um, He asked the Pickards whether they thought that their girl, the girl was their daughter. And then he screamed, God help me. I'm guilty. And ran away. (laughs) What are you guilty of, sir? (laughs) What? hey get back here (laughs) hey come back here and later he was admitted into an asylum and that's where he did his actual confession and he became a little more specific so on may 26 1922 a month after the girls the girl in the other city was found (laughs) i'm gonna say the other city because i'm not trying to say that again cherbourg cherbourg (laughs) all right so uh a month after the girl was found in the other city a cyclist came upon the naked body of a small girl not far from the pickard's home Mm. um but the head the feet and the hands were all removed oh so it's just like a torso yep it's just like a torso with arms and legs. I don't like that at all. There, I don't like that. Yeah, no. I don't like that at all. No, nope. no. Nope. Me neither. No, I do not. I don't I got like to- <laughs> <laughs> I got to that point and I'm like, so you're saying it was like you found like a headless doll? No, nope. That was my no, first no, no, thought. No. Um, I do not like that. <laughs> so with that, with those pieces missing, it was nearly impossible at the time with no DNA to identify this body. But near the body, they found children's clothes that were neatly folded and piled. Um, oh. they found, yeah, they found a black and white checkered dress, 
a navy jacket and black tights, which Paulina's mother said is what she was wearing the day she disappeared. So, So they just brought this chick home and it's not hers. And then, like a month later, they find her de- uh, their actual daughter's dead body. Uh-huh. So, what happened to the little girl? Even weirder, you know what else was found with the body, though? What? Just a full grown man's head. No. Hey. Uh uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yep. Uh, yep. So, they were like, is there a second victim of this person? Well, obviously. You know, like. <laughs> Like with it's just it was just so weird. They there's so many questions, and I'm sorry to say, friends, but I don't have answers for most of them. So don't like that. Um, another stranger fact is that the rescue team and the police had been over that area. Quotation: So carefully, so careful was the search made, the time of Pauline's disappearance, that this body would have been discovered had it been lying there where it was found so yeah, they say that all the time though but it was it was literally like a mile away from their parents house it yeah, wasn't but... far <clears throat> and it's like the main area that they like scoured so and they went over it multiple times until this girl was found in the other city and so the fact that it just like showed up i don't like is this. weird um so basically that pointed at the fact that the killer most likely recently moved the body or had just placed the body there and kept the girl for a time. Um, Because with the decomposition where it was at being, it was like a month and a half later, it was kind of hard to tell at the time how long um, in 22. So Sophie wants to be part of the podcast. Hello, Sophie. Sophie, I'm telling a story. You're being rude. <laughs> Either listen or go away. Listen or go away. I'm trying to sniff your mom's ear. Uh, with that being said, who was the girl living with the Picards, like you just said? Who yeah. was this and why? Did they keep her? No, they because... beat her out of the house? It's the... It's 22. There is not great economic standing around the world at this time. They like they thought it was her daughter. They brought her back to the town where they came from, where she came from. So they drove her back to <laughs> so that sad. town. And she basically was put in an orphanage, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it'd be really hard to keep this girl that looks exactly like your daughter who you know is dead. And... I can I can understand, but I also don't understand. I wouldn't be able to have a kid for like a month and be like, "Just kidding, bye." Just kidding. I'm just gonna drop you, kick you out of my house yeah. now. Um, but I at the same time, it's like financially, they already right. have other kids. Like, if this isn't my kid that I, eat, you got to get out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, kid. I can't do it. We're stretching. Um, something that people mulled over for years after, though was how could a family how could the family be so sure that this girl was their daughter before this like how is it possible for because they wanted it them? to be yep and that's exactly what it is is i after i kind of read the, the stories about it i like looked into these different things and it's a normal traumatic thing when a traumatic mm-hmm. thing happens everybody who was mourning which is the whole i mean the whole community was mourning because at right. this time it took a community to raise kids like that was kind of the way of life right and so everybody was like oh 
they want it to be. So there it was. You look exactly like her where it's like, maybe she didn't look exactly like her. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, um, but, and there's many other like cases of parents misidentifying kids thinking they're theirs when their kid goes distant, goes disappearing, goes, goes, goes goes disappearing. Like he's going on an adventure. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when those kids go disappearing, (laughs) um, there was never definitive proof that the body was that was found by the cyclist was Pauline's, but all of the circumstantial evidence points towards that. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really even any um anybody charged in the case. This guy confessed to it, but that he was, was already about in it. A crazy house. So Well, and it was just like his confession didn't lead to anything really it wasn't like he but who was the the random dude's head that was by the little girl's body i don't know (laughs) i told you i was like but i like this case it might be a shorter case but i like it because it's so weird and what the fuck (laughs) where's your fucking head why it doesn't have a little old man head now right why do we have a man's head Ew. what's what's funny is i'm pretty sure my dad can hear me right now but he could only hear my side of the conversation so he's probably really fucking confused what the fuck is happening what are they there? talking about in there <laughs> where's the head why is it an old man head now <laughs> that's a good story thanks um, i have been watching i found out that monster quest is on amazon prime I I saw that you put that on uh it would have been your Snapchat or something. Yeah, so I've been watching that quite a bit and now I've been doing research on changelings. They're creepy. Creepy That's as fuck. Fucking creepy. That's why I was like Leylines, Faye, changelings. <laughs> oh no wonder you're going to be one of them now, huh? Well, my dad cuz we were talking, we were watching it and dad goes, it was the Chupacabra episode. My dad goes, "See, that's not a creature of this world." And I was like, I looked at him and I'm like, the fuck and he goes where is this happening and i'm like el paso texas and he's like google ley lines in el paso texas and then there was one happening in like i or in like puerto rico and he's like those are creatures that are slipping in and out of ley lines and they come in and they're from a different dimension and he's like that's probably like a normal animal in a different dimension but it slipped through a ley line and now it's sucking the lives out of the goats in el paso texas <laughs> I'm like jesus Okay, and he's like, look at Ireland. And if you look at Ireland, it literally uh, is a convergence of like hundreds of ley lines. And I'm like, well, that's why all those weird, like, mystic little, little yeah. people are. <laughs> yeah, that's where all the weird mystic things happen. And the fairies, fucking gnomes, leprechauns. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing with my time <laughs> becoming a crazy person, crazy shut in. <laughs> yes. There's always an answer. Everyone's lying. It's through the ley lines. (laughs) Alternate dimensions. (laughs) (laughs) Becoming a crazy shut-in? Yes. As long as you're not becoming a flat earther or a hollow earth believer, you're good. Nope. No. Because that's dumb. The earth is definitely not flat. Correct. Never heard of an, what's a hollow earther? They believe the earth is hollow. Girl, look up the last podcast on the left episode of hollow. Oh, earth. I haven't. I've been saving them for when I go back to work, so I have stuff to listen to. Well, bitch, it's old. Oh, 
it's like real old like how old <laughs> like probably from 2017 <laughs> oh i haven't i've listened to all of those i thought uh, no they hollow earth they and there's also like a hollow moon theory and basically they say there's a inner earth and that's where the nazis are hiding out that's where people <laughs> what people are saying <laughs> there's a hole at the north pole yeah no for real this is what people believe because they're dumb stupid yeah and then the reason that they say that it's possible is they make a a bubble in water and they get it spinning like the earth on its axis right mm -hmm. and then they put in some like pieces of what did they use um Magic? like pills uh -oh. because it's like you know to use as crust right yeah. So they put those in and it all goes to the edges. I'm like, that's just some tropical force, dude. That's just how it works. It doesn't work like that on a mass scale the way that it is with the liquid on the inside of the earth. But whatever. Whatever. <laughs> your headphones back on. We're not done talking. <laughs> huh? I said, put your headphones back on. We're not done talking. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so you should check that out sometime. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking dumb really interesting that people believe it but it's fucking dumb <laughs> no man you're so fucking stupid <laughs> <laughs> all right well shall we shall we wrap this up i mean i wouldn't be mad about it let's let's do it oh. 90s kid freeze in the air because you're excited Woo! okay okay nobody can see us so we can't just stay there for so, very long so it's just us doing that okay <laughs> <laughs> Uh, follow us on all the social medias. I straight up deleted Twitter off my phone because I needed <laughs> space. So we're not on Twitter. I mean, we are, but we're I, not. I'm not aware of anything happening on it. So uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook, ISW the podcast at gmail.com if you want to email us. Uh, yeah. We're eventually like, going to do a YouTube, I think. Yeah, I feel like we should because... Then we our, can't say this is not a visual platform. Because it is. And they can see all our faces. But it is a visual platform. Oh, oh fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to get like monetized because we cuss too much. But we can get sponsors. I mean, we can get sponsors. <laughs> we could just bleep out every swear word we say. No one would understand anything beep. we're saying. Beep. And the beep. Bit of beep. Beep. Okay, that's annoying. Sorry. Yeah. What? Huh? Huh? Uh, I'm sorry. Well. <laughs> well. See you later. <laughs> Spread the word. Spread yourselves. Adios. Well. Ugh. I don't like that. that I don't like any. I didn't like that at all. That was. I felt like somebody whispered in my ear. It made me uncomfortable. Oh, did you? Stop it. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.